0: This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. I know Mother's Day just passed, but that doesn't mean women can't benefit from some good tips on cool outdoor gear. Miss Lily's got the latest. I'll be speaking with the co-founder of Skipper Auto, a community-supported fishery. I've got some tips to share on harvesting your own fish, and I'll be reflecting on the important role of community-supported fishery and what can happen if you don't follow fish consumption guidelines. Come on, Lewis. Let's go find Lily.
1: Getting schooled
0: with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily. We just passed Mother's Day. You think your mother enjoyed the special day?
2: The camping, yeah. At the campground, <laughs> yeah.
0: She did, didn't she? She really had a fun time. Hopefully. No, it sounded like she really enjoyed it. I did too. It was a beautiful weather. It was chilly, but we had the fire pit. Well, I'm glad you
2: enjoyed yourself, Dad, on Mother's Day.
0: Oh, no, I enjoyed it because <laughs> Mom enjoyed it. Lily, I know everyone likes to know and hear about new outdoor gear, and even though Mother's Day is past, I think there is an opportunity here to talk about some new gear for women. Did you find anything?
2: Mm, Yeah. Well, once again, uh, it's the Sierra Club to the rescue. These 12 gifts were selected for Mother's Day, but I think, you know, they apply to women any time of the year. You know, flowers are chocolate. They're cool. Yeah, (laughs) they're cool, too. Number one, uh, know a mindfulness minded woman. Help her tap into the restorative powers of nature with the gifts of Chronicle Books Nature Meditation deck. These 60 cards each feature a bite-sized meditation or guided visualization practice, along with breathtaking illustrations to help bring nature's healing and calming powers, not to mention beauty, to everyday moments.
0: That sounds really cool. And I'm sure you could actually braille these cards with a little meditation sayings on them each as well.
2: Yeah, usually they're just one word, so it's easy. Number two. Open up the world via the gift of adorable, compact, waterproof binoculars in her favorite color. Care of NOCS or NOx provision with these superb fog-proof optics. Take share-ready pics through binoculars with her smartphone.
0: That sounds pretty cool. And if you uh, have low vision, having a pair of binoculars is always a great tool.
2: Yeah, for sure. Number three, help make her more intrepid than she already is with help from the gift of the Cressida, a new three-section telescoping hiking pole from the trekking mavens of Likai. Especially made for women, its grip is optimally shaped for smaller hands. Oh, I could use that. Uh, (laughs) It also packs down to 25 inches, is easily adjustable and trustworthy thanks to a handy external locking system, and weighs only 8.3 ounces.
0: Wow, splash a bit of white on there and you've got yourself an ID cane as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Number four, she'll need a trusty, not to mention fetching, boot to go with those new poles. The Grippy Kaha 2 GTX from One 11 offers a perfect balance of cushion and lightweight technology to power her through any conditions, no matter how wet, dry, or technical things get. Just about any Hakka lover enjoys that maximal feeling of ambulating on trampolines and she will love that this ultralight model's made from recycled textiles. I want a pair of those.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And the fact that they use recycled materials makes them green as well. So yeah. that's a double bonus.
2: Get that junk out of the ocean, right? Yeah. Number five fact, adventure-loving women can pretty much always use more merino <laughs> wool base layers. Uh, Minus33's Wolverino line offers great values. Pieces start at $25 and run up to $110 for a sun shirt, sizing up to 6XL and a 145 weight that's perfect for shoulder seasons and travel. These pieces are cozy, well-cut, and unlike synthetic fabrics, never get funky.
0: <laughs> that's so cool i mean merino wool for all seasons merino
2: and wool you love almost m- as much as you love mom
0: <laughs> I, if i had merino wool everything on the upper top level I'd, I'd buy it for sure but it's expensive and it and it doesn't withstand a lot of beating up and dog and cat claws and things like that. dog and cat claws <laughs> oh man i got so many pulls on my merino wool sweaters you know From the claws of dogs. Benji
2: and Lewis ripping at your shirt. Take us for a walk or else the (laughs) marina will get it. (laughs) Number six. Women who love to backpack understands that weight matters. So she'll love the sleek ultralight products in the Myers New Climate Plus collection featuring double wall vacuum insulated thermal drinking vessels. Made with 25% less stainless steel compared to previous models and no new plastic, she'll also adore the Myrrh claims to offset 110% of this collection's carbon footprint.
0: Another green product. Go, Sierra Club.
2: It's important. It's important. Yeah. Number seven. Dating back centuries to the Andean and Patagonian regions of South America, ponchos remain one of the most fundamental, practical, and fun garments to don. Mom loves ponchos. Uh, This highly packable, hooded, one-size-fits-all number from Appalachian Gear Company is made from baby alpaca fleece, which carries natural insulating and temperature-regulating properties, contains no synthetics, and is perfect for camping, and concert-loving women. Man, I hope no baby alpacas were harmed in the making of this poncho.
0: I'm sure there was none harmed. They, they teased it out with light bamboo combs, you know?
2: I bet they did or they just shaved <laughs> them like they do sheeps. Oh, I love the... alpacas. Number eight. Camper women will also love the delicious smelling soap, shampoo, and conditioner bars from Tangy Waste Free Products a line of plastic-free body care that'll run only around 5 to $12 per bar. These wares require no water and are made with zero synthetic ingredients.
0: Nothing like a bit of aromatherapy in the shower. Mark me down for a bar as well, Lily.
2: I know you love soaps. Well, you I like, love soaps. They have
0: to have the right smell, though. I want one to smell like the sea.
2: I know we've been looking for you for the sea for for years.
0: <laughs> not a pine tree. We I haven't always get pine found trees. it. No, we have
2: not found the perfect sea. <laughs> no. uh, number nine. There's a new green label in town: regenerative organic certified. It's food, textile, and personal care ingredients that come with from farms that meet the highest standards for soil health i.e. dirt that promotes carbon sequestration and biodiversity animal welfare and farm worker fairness and patagonia has embraced the label launching the first ever collection of ro certified cotton apparel you'll find tees sweats denim baby and kid styling and even technical climbing duds for women partial to the lightweight effortless stylish and aptly named kamala jumpsuit
0: kamala jumpsuit Wow, hey, you know what? If Patagonia put its name behind this, you know this label lives up to its claims.
2: Yeah, Patagonia is great. Do you think they named it? They named it after Carmela Harris.
0: For sure, they did.
2: Yeah. Number ten, among outdoor enthusiasts, women anglers are one of the fastest growing demographics. If that count includes any women in your sphere, know that Maine Fly Company crafts small batch fly rods from locally sourced components in Yarmouth, Maine. The medium action little river rod comes in multiple sizes and is ideal for navigating tight spaces and strategically slippy trout.
0: I think that women were hugely uh, getting into fishing over the last two years during COVID and youth and visible minorities all mainly from the cities the numbers went way up in terms of number of people getting into fishing i don't know or haven't heard of any numbers in terms of people with disabilities but i'm hoping that those numbers went up as well
2: more research should be done on that you know i know number 11 fly fishing women will need some trusty waders to go with that rod Compass 360 Woman Ledges Adjustable Breathable Fishing Chest Waders are specially outfitted for women with fit, ergonomic booties, a single-seams crotch designed to eliminate chafe and a big handy pocket.
0: You know what? You can't beat a good pair of waders if you're going to spend the day wading streams. Crappy waders make for a crappy day. Comfortable waders, you don't even know you're wearing them because you just stay dry. You've been through a bunch of crappy waders in your life? I've had waders with holes in them. (laughs) and and waiters that are just like wearing a a big tent
2: (laughs) (laughs) last one number 12 our last suggestion don't forget the woman in your life who work hard to provide a better life for the dogs and or who tirelessly labor to help rescue dogs. The limited edition bundle from Grounds and Hounds Coffee Co., the operation whose sales support rescue initiative and makes second chances a reality for countless dogs, including the perfect mug, a delicious foster fuel coffee blend, and a sweet bouquet toy for her
0: pup. It's great that uh, the people get some of the treats, not just the dogs all the time. I mean, face it. You give a dog a Cheerio and they're happy.
2: You give a dog, you give Lewis a rock and he's happy.
0: <laughs> no one gives my dog rocks.
2: Your dog gives himself rocks.
0: <laughs> I know, it's a little disturbing. It's his, <laughs>
2: he like, sh- I think he's sharpening his oh teeth to goodness. defend himself against the mean squirrels.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Lily. Time for the bucket list. Welcome, Sonia Straubel. Thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: I know from reading some background, you were quite involved with community-supported agriculture, Mm -hmm. but why the fishery?
1: Yes, it was interesting because I, I married into a fishing family in 2001, and so I... And you didn't have a background in fishing and I just learned so much just from joining the family and uh, you know learned what it was like to be a fishing family how hard work is how risky it is all the risks that you take on financially and, and also physically you know going to sea not knowing what you're going to be paid for your catch uh, not knowing how much you'll catch not knowing what kinds of openings or fishing access they'll be. Um, and, and it was just so uncertain. And at the same time, I knew all these people in my community who wanted to get local fish and couldn't. You know, I've since learned that in Canada we export about 90% of what we catch. Mm. And, and then at the same time, about 80% of what we eat in Canada is imported. Yeah. So we have this total disconnect. We don't have local food systems that are robust and that are resilient here in Canada and so I kind of learned all of that and as you said I was part of these community supported agriculture programs big supporter of that since the 90s and um kind of had this when our first son was born had this aha moment because I, I saw fishing disappearing as a way of life in our family I had this new baby and thought he's not going to grow up in a, as a fishing as a fisherman in a fishing family yeah uh, unless something changes and so I was a high school teacher I didn't have a business background. I didn't have uh, really, you know, anything conventional that would have prepared me to do it. But I just did it. I made a website, and we just told people, "Hey, you can join. You know, mail us a check, and we'll get you some fish," and uh, and they did. <laughs> so here we are, you know, fourteen and, years later.
0: And Skipper Otto is the is the patron of all this. Uh, tell right. me a bit about him.
1: Yeah. So Otto is my father-in-law. Uh, he started fishing in oh, it's in the '60s. And, um, you know, he's our patron, of course, because he's he's the the first fisherman in our family, but also he has that um, that ethic that uh, that so many fishermen that I know have, which is that we are uh, so privileged to be here on this land and on the sea to be earning a living taking fish from the sea to feed ourselves and our communities and so we have to see this as this honor and this privilege we are keepers of this land we need to protect this for the future so that for many many generations people can feed themselves and others and so that's that kind of ethos of skipper auto that infused uh certainly my understanding of fisheries and skipper auto the organization today
0: it's amazing i'm listening to this and i'm thinking you know the parallels between this story of reconnecting fishers to their communities it, it's so similar to what we see going on in First Nations communities, right? With the, with the food and ceremonial and, and, and social fisheries and, and moderate livelihood fisheries. Again, it's, it's getting back to basics where the people go out and catch fish and bring it back to their communities, to their families and share it. And you know, you know who's catching your fish.
1: That's right you know I think that indigenous food systems are this model for us of how uh, it, it was on, on on this place and how it ought to be in this place that food systems are of a place that we are that we regenerate communities and relationships our bodies our ecosystems through our interactions with the food that's produced by that land and that uh, you know, indigenous food systems were, were intentionally, I mean, wiped out and replaced with this very, uh, very literally colonial system, which is the basis of our export system. And so, you know, fisheries here in Canada were established to feed England, to feed Europe. And so these were extractive, you know, systems set up to extract resources ship them away, not to feed the people here. And so we see the, the remnants of that today in what, this very export oriented society that we live in. And so I think we need to look back to Indigenous food systems to, to repair that relationship that we have with communities and with ecosystems.
0: Do you see more First Nations communities getting into this type of uh, community-supported fisheries? Is, is that something that's becoming uh, popular?
1: Well, you know, it hasn't yet, but it's something I'm super excited about, actually. And so last year at Skipper Auto, we got a grant to build a software platform to help proliferate the Skipper Auto model of community supported fisheries, because we know it is successful and we know there are certain reasons why our model works. So we've codified that into this software. And the purpose of that is to allow others, we really believe actually, but the way to change the food system is not just to grow super auto. I don't want to be the biggest fish company in the world. What I do want is I want to see a decentralized uh, network of community-supported fisheries in every coastal communities. And I see the role of indigenous people as being very significant in that proliferation. So I'm, you know, I'm working with an organization here called the Native Fishing Association. We've started an Indigenous Women in Fishing mentorship program they've accessed some funds for some grants for indigenous women who want to start business models like this like the Skibrado model in their community to help distribute the fish caught by their nation to their nation's members and beyond in their in the broader community and really that's where I see the future so I see every community every indigenous community that has fishing access being able to distribute their fish this way But I also see an incredible opportunity for this model to distribute what we call food and ceremonial fish here in Canada. And so this is fish that uh, Indigenous people can catch, uh, not for commercial sale, but to feed their community members. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges right now is some, you know, about 70 or so percent of, of a band's members don't live on reserve. They live in in cities nearby or or even farther away. And so how can those urban indigenous people access their rightful fish? They can't right now, it's very difficult. And so I have been talking with a number of different bands and nations about the potential to use the Skipper auto model and the software to connect those indigenous urban folks back to their rightful food source. So that's super exciting, something that we're working on.
0: And, and again, it's going to bring a whole lot of transparency to all of that as well, right? And, and I think with the transparency comes understanding and a lot of the fears or misunderstandings or, you know, false narratives that spread over social media might put a lot of that to rest, which needs to happen. I mean, my goodness, you know, First Nation fisheries, they've been so tarnished and maligned by government by us for so long, it's a huge reconciliation rebuilding exercise. There's no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I see the work that we do at Skipper Auto is based on, you know, a, a few core pillars and reconciliation is key. Decolonizing the fishery. And when I say that, I mean building local food systems for mm-hmm. local people right and so this is this is key important grassroots reconciliation work that we are really proud to be engaged in i know i know our members are really proud to be engaged in and our fishing families are proud to be engaged and that's what it looks like on the ground to do reconciliation listening first and then and then rebuilding and repairing those relationships
0: I think there's a lot to what you're saying. And, and, and this is something I got in your website as well, is that the difference being is exactly that. You know who caught it. You know you're paying a fair wage to that person. And you know the, 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 the fishing activity itself was sustainable and responsible and ethical. And, and these are important things. I think a lot of people are looking for that. They're willing to pay a little bit extra for that. But you're suggesting that because you're eliminating a lot of these transportation costs, you're also competitive.
1: That's right. And people often say, oh, well, that, that's very well and good for, for privileged folks who can afford uh, you know, this sounds like a very expensive endeavor. But truthfully, it really isn't. Buying fish from a CSF is not vastly more expensive than buying fish from your grocery store. If we're comparing apples to apples here, right? Mm-hmm. So let's be clear, you can buy shrimp that was harvested by a slave on one of these well-documented, you know, slave ships in Southeast Asia, and it'll mm. be cheaper. For sure, make no mistake, because someone was yeah. exploited along the way, right? But if yeah. we're comparing, uh, you know, legal fish to legal fish, or if we're comparing, you know, this year's sockeye salmon to this year's sockeye salmon, um, those are going to be priced very competitively, very similarly. And so mm-hmm. it's just that the industrial system is really good at hiding truths for profit, that's really what it's set up for, is for, for shareholder profit. That's it's, it's major sole purpose is to, to make money. And you can make money if you keep, uh, you know, a lot of information from the customer. You know, the customer doesn't want to buy fish that's maybe been in a freezer for three or four years, right? That sounds unappealing. So mm-hmm. we don't put that information on the package, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: if we can keep that information from the customer, then, then we can make more profit. So in a community-supported fishery, it's about total transparency. You know exactly what you're getting and why you're paying what you're paying. And that, as you said, so much more of the dollars are going to the harvesters who are doing the work and then filtering into those coastal communities.
0: Keep us posted.
1: Well, Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to chat with you today, Lawrence.
0: Outdoor tips and tech. Six on your left, 120 You can buy your seafood or you can catch it yourself or both. Nothing wrong with harvesting your own. It's called fishing. Some people call it foraging. Three things to keep in mind. Make sure the fish you plan to harvest are at sustainable numbers. This means there's more than enough fish of the specific species you're interested in that live in that lake or river. Number two, check the harvesting regulations in your area. Make sure you're fishing during the open season that you're harvesting the fish of the right size and of the right species, as well as the number of fish you're allowed to harvest. In Ontario, blind people don't need a fishing license, but that limits you to a conservation license, which has a much smaller harvest rate than the sport license. So if you want to harvest a full limit, you need to buy a fishing license. And three, make sure you check to find out if the fish you are actually harvesting have a fish consumption advisory. All fish that are safety will have a fish consumption advisory for that species in your area. It could be 32 meals a month, 16 meals a month, 8 meals a month, on down. If there's no reference to the size and species of fish that you're going to harvest in that area, that means they're not safe to eat at all. Sometimes it recommends you only eat smaller fish. I know these two sets of rules in terms of How many fish you're allowed to keep, and in terms of how many fish you should safely eat, don't always line up. Doesn't really make sense. I'm hoping they'll get that sorted out soon. We're on their case. The main thing is, be safe, be legal. Don't get in trouble, and don't put your health at risk. For more information about catch and release fishing and sustainable harvesting, visit Bluefish Canada, the resource page. Community supported fisheries are sustainable, responsible, offer quality fish and provide fair wages to the people doing the fishing. They also build communities. This is where we used to be and this is where we need to get back to and it's also where First Nations are passing on their values to us because this is what they've done for centuries. We can learn from First Nations fishers and communities about how to celebrate the catch in our ceremonies, with our society, and our families, and our communities, and how to make it an integral part of our food and connect with nature through fish, through the consumption of fish. Nothing wrong with it as long as it's done sustainably. Speaking of which, I was out fishing on opening day of walleye season on the St. Lawrence River, caught myself some giant walleye, let them all go again because we checked the fish consumption advisories the day before and they were saying you should only eat walleye out of that river up to 16 inches in length no bigger the fish we were catching were 21 and the biggest one i caught was 27 which is a real big walleye thankfully they were all post spawn you can tell by the belly it wasn't fat and heavy it was thin and soft which meant the eggs were all laid even though the water was only 45 degrees and the air temperature was colder than that. The unfortunate thing is, though, there was lots of anglers who were keeping the bigger fish because legally they were allowed to keep some of the bigger fish. They were going to bring them home and eat them with their family, with their friends, not paying attention to the fish consumption advisories or just ignoring them altogether. So whose responsibility is it? Is it up to the angler to follow these fish consumption advisories to actually learn what they are before they go fishing to track that information down? Or is there an ethical obligation by those who monitor the pollution in our lakes and rivers to make sure people are eating healthy and not eating food that could cause them health issues? To me, it's like cigarettes, you know, we were told that smoking cigarettes was fine and lots of scientists said there was no linkage to cancer. Well, turns out that was all wrong. What are we going to find out about fish that have toxins in them? Let's not find out the hard way. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at AMI.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazrin Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Denine. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
1: Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favourite podcast distributor.